We are concluding our series on Esther, Living Life on Purpose. How many of you know living life on purpose is important? God called us for a reason and for a purpose. He did not call you to be uh, the pinball and just bounce around from things in life. Oh, this tragedy hit me. Oh, this happened. Oh, that happened. Many people just kind of live reactionary to life. God's called us to live on purpose. Amen? Amen. So as I wrap up this series, I'm not focusing on an individual particular, but things learned in this book. Uh, but before I start, I actually had, I, have you ever, anybody ever make a list of things that you really want in life? Whether you either wrote it down or uh, some of you guys, I don't know who you are, some of you guys have played the Powerball or lottery before or, or, or hope for Ed McMahon, even though he's dead now, but the publisher clearinghouse. And you, you're like, if I got all of that money, what would I buy? And you start thinking a list. By the way, if you do play lottery and you win, then it's 50% tithe, just so you know that. <laughs> that is before taxes, right? God before government, amen? amen. I had a, a district official said, no, it's 100% tithe as a sin offering, right? So uh, anyway... I was thinking about this list, and I was thinking about how when we start making those lists, how many of you know we can be very selfish? One thing that I have talked about for years is that on my list, I would love to have a red Corvette, yeah. right? How many of you like that? I mean, like, like this would be an amazing one right here, but you know what? Just I'm putting this out there. If you can't find one of those to, to, to give to your pastor, uh, I would settle for this one right here too. <laughs> I'm not picky on the year. Uh, red Corvette's a red Corvette, right? However, it's on my list, but I want it on my list with the exception of I don't have to pay the insurance, registration, or maintenance. Come on. How many of you know insurance and maintenance on a Corvette or a fancy car is a whole lot more than it is on my Toyota? So, so I want that, but I want it without that because it's my list, so I can put whatever I want on it. I would also like this, and some of you would agree, I'd like to be able to eat whatever I want and never gain weight or worry about any health issues. Don't worry about blood sugar. Don't worry about uh, what, cholesterol or any of that stuff. Wouldn't that be amazing? All right? How many of you say amen to that? I want that on my list, all right? I would like to be strong and healthy and not have to go to the gym and work out. Amen. I'd like my muscles just to get bigger as I recline in a recliner. Like, man, I just feel like I'm getting stronger here, right? Wouldn't that be amazing? I know. We love that. How about this? I would love to have enough money to travel anywhere without being on a budget. Wouldn't that be great? You know, how many of you are like us? It's like if you go somewhere, you go on Hotels.com or something, and it's like, hmm, that one's $1,000 a night, scratch, right? <laughs> Uh, this one's $99 a night. Uh, I'm not sure about that, right? Uh, so we have budgets that we have to travel on, but wouldn't it be great to not worry about that? How about this one? I love this one right here. I'd love to be able to go anywhere I want without any traffic. Now, I found this picture because, you know, they got the HOV lanes. Uh, this is the Scott lane right here. Yeah. Right? I'd like anywhere I went that they just set up cones and like, oh, yeah, Scott's coming through. Uh, move all the traffic to the side. I'm going to the Bay Area, move it on. How many of you would love that? Right? See, that's on my list. I'm just telling you. Uh, I would love this right here. I'd love a brand new state-of-the-art church building without any debt. A anybody notice that I put our uh, logo up here? Nice. 
No debt whatsoever. Wouldn't that be amazing? And that's probably tied to the, uh, uh, whoever wins the lottery with the 50% coming. So it may be in there somewhere. I don't know. Uh, just saying. I would like to have enough money that I don't have to worry about retirement. Amen? Not like, oh man, okay, I think I can live in this box here and actually retire. I think it might be okay, right? I'd love to be able to have enough money to be able to buy all of our kids a brand new home. Amen. Yeah, see, I knew I'd get some amens right there. Like, I, Heather, Heather amen me in the first service, so, uh, but I think they're still there. I, how many of you would love to do that? I like to be able to buy my kids, my grandkids, all of that, set them up for life, right? Uh, now, the last one that's on my list, some of you guys may agree, some of you may not, but I'd like to ban cilantro throughout up the whole earth. <laughs> Come on, I'm just telling you, off the face of the earth, uproot every plant and let it die, let it cease, let it be extinct. Amen. I know some of you guys love cilantro. Uh, it's not, I don't like it at all. And you know, you go to Mexican, they like to sneak it in on you. <laughs> right? Like, like oh, I don't, oh, good, I don't have any cilantro. And you're tasting, it's like, ugh, yuck, what is that in here? Did somebody stick a sock in my food? What is going on? So anyway, that's just my feeling of cilantro. Anyway, here, <laughs> so. When you begin to list all those things, how many of you know it really reveals a lot about you? You guys know one of the things I don't like in my diet, right? But uh, at the end of the list, I realize most of these things I'm never going to have. Uh, and the reality, most of that stuff won't satisfy you anyway. Even if you got it, it's not going to bring that. So at the end of my making myself serving list, I do have another list. And then I want the list to include things that I really want and I think that really matter. Just two things on that list. Number one, I want to please God. Hallelujah. Amen? As a husband, as a father, as a son, as a grandparent, as a pastor, as a friend, just as a follower of Jesus, I want to please God with my life. Now, I don't know if you've realized it, uh, we're not going to be able to please people all the time. Am I right? You're just not going to do that. I get that. It's impossible for anybody, but I'm going to tell you as a pastor, it's especially impossible. Right, because everybody wants one thing this way or that way. I want this song. I want it cooler in here. I want it hotter in here. I want you to preach shorter. I want you to preach longer. I want you to make me feel better about myself. Anyway, all of that. And let me tell you, when COVID hit, how many of you know that job even got worse? Oh, open up earlier. No, don't open up. Have masks. Don't have masks. You know, uh, space everybody apart. Everybody has an opinion. And I understand that. Uh, and so that's just the difficult part. I can't please people. I realize that, but I can please God. I can please God. Listen, I may never drive a red Corvette. I may never be able to travel anywhere without a budget. And I probably will never be able to ban cilantro. But I can live with that. But I do want to please God. I want to be obedient to Him. Someday I understand we're all going to stand before Him. And I want to hear these words, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. I want to hear those words. And that's only going to be happening if I, if I live my life to say, God, I want to please you. The second thing that I want to do on my list is I want to make a difference. Amen. I want my life to count. Anybody with me on that? I want my life to account for something. I don't want to just live life accumulating a bunch of stuff, having a bunch of fun, and then I die. 
right? Like, what's the point of that? Oh, yeah, you got the biggest house. Oh, you got that and you got that. Listen, I want my life to have a lasting legacy. I want to live my life for God and that there would be something after to pass down, not just a statue, not just a memory, uh, not just a tombstone. I want there to be a lasting legacy. And let me tell you, when you really get down to it, those goals really say it all. I want to please God, and I want to make a difference. It's really not that hard. I think many of you would agree, right? If I can accomplish those two things, then that's enough for me, amen? Amen. How many of you would say amen to that, right? So as we're wrapping up our study on Esther, it's, it's really an amazing story where there's this young woman uh, and, and this uh, man, this step, adoptive stepfather, Mordecai. Both of them did these two things. They pleased God and they made a difference, right? And so I want to just say, if you've missed any of the last weeks, I'm not going to go back over the whole story. I want to encourage you, you can go back, uh, you can listen to them. You can read the 10 chapters of Esther. I think that that is worth your time. Uh, because you will get a lot out of that. And we've covered different individuals in the book. But like I said, today I just want to talk about some in general things in this book. Uh, and if your life goal is to please God and make a difference, I believe there's some powerful lessons that you can really learn today. And uh, uh, some of you may have been here today and said, Hey, listen, those are good life goals. I'd like to adopt that. Maybe you didn't have that. But if you want to adopt that, I want to encourage you, you can do that. And I want to tell you, if you apply the principles, it will change the way you work. It'll change your attitude. How many of you, anybody ever have a bad attitude? Come on, let's be honest, right? It'll change, our, it'll change what maybe you do in school, your behavior, really your entire life. Whether you've got another 60, 70 years or you have one year left, uh, I believe that these principles will help you realign your life in order to accomplish those goals. How many of you know you have to purpose to do this? Your life will not automatically please God and automatically make a difference. There are adjustments that we have to make in order for that to happen. So number one in your notes, if you want to please God and make a dif- uh, difference, you've got to be different. Right? You can't be like everybody else. Well, everybody else is doing that. Well, you want to be like everybody else or do you want to please God and make a difference in this world? Something has to be different about us. If we look and act like everybody else, then guess what? You're not going to make a difference. Think about it. Esther stood out from all the other women. There were hundreds of young, beautiful girls that were chosen uh, to see who would be the next king. <clears throat> and, uh, and many of those girls, they wanted, to be the, they wanted to win this competition. They wanted to be the queen, right? They would have status. They would have power, wealth, all of that. But as we read the story of Esther, she really had no driving ambition to be the queen. That wasn't it. Her self-worth didn't revolve around her beauty or her ability to please the king. Uh, She was there for one reason. She knew that God's hand was upon her life. And she had the sense in the middle of this horrible, difficult situation, God has a plan. She understood that. So when she became queen, she didn't get caught up in position or possessions. Oh, I'm the queen. You know what? I got all of this stuff. She stayed connected to her adopted father, Mordecai, who was really just a Jew living in a foreign land. He had no position whatsoever, but she stayed connected to him and she stayed sensitive to God and to other people. That's huge. How many of you know she was different? And there's a verse that can be very obscure. You could pass over it. Chapter 2, verse 15, it said, Esther won the favor of everybody that saw her. 
Wow. How, did that, how many of you would like that to be said about you? You know, like, like there's J.R. J.R. won the favor of everybody that saw him, right? Uh, uh, Deborah, back there in the back, you won the favor of everybody that saw you, right? How many of you would like that to be said about you? That's amazing. Let me tell you, it doesn't just happen because Esther was good looking, right? It, because she was an attractive young woman. That doesn't happen. How many of you know there's a lot of good looking jerks in our world? I'm just telling you, look at Hollywood, right? It's like, oh, man, they're so pretty. They're so beautiful. It's so handsome, right? And it's like, oh, but that guy's kind of a jerk. It's not just because she looked good. It happened because she lived her life different, different than all the others. And it's an absolute, if you want to please God, if you want to make a difference, you have to live different than those that are around you, right? You have to live according to God's standard. And Paul said this in Colossians. He said this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, are you a part of God's chosen people? Yeah. He says, holy, dearly loved. He says, clothe yourselves or put on uh, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Listen, I could do a whole sermon off of that right there. A whole series of sermons off of that. And, and that, let me tell you, that's certainly different. If you look at our world, you know, our world is promote yourself, get ahead, put other people down, get, get what you want now. You can just tell whatever version of the truth that works for you, right? Just whatever it works. Let me tell you, it, you will stand out if you have compassion, right? You're going to stand out if you're kind. How many of you know our world needs some kindness? You find somebody that's compassionate and kind and humility, oh my goodness, if we have that and gentleness and patience, if we have all of that work in your life, let me tell you, you're not only going to find the favor of people, you're going to find the favor of God. Amen. God's going to look down on you and he's, got, he's going to promote you in ways that you never thought possible. So we need to be different. That's the first step. The second thing that we need to do is to realize there is a reward for doing the right thing. When you choose to do the right thing in this world, let me tell you, God notices that. Other people notice that. Think about Mordecai in this story. He discovered that there was a plot to kill the king. He reported it, and even though, uh, even though this king was not really friendly to the Jews, he wasn't on their side. Uh, as a matter of fact, he signed a law uh, to exterminate the Jews. But he, he found this uh, uh, plot... He exposed it, and let me tell you, there was no immediate payoff for doing the right thing, right? It seemed like Mordecai's decision to do the right thing went notice. Anybody ever feel that in life? Yeah. Like, I did the right thing, and it just didn't seem to matter, right? I did the right thing. Nobody else did. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had different conversations that, that, that basically people are like, you know what? I, I, I've stopped drinking. I stopped smoking. I stopped uh, uh, partying and sleeping around. I'm giving. I'm even giving a mission. But yet I'm watching other people get promotions. Other people that don't love God aren't submitted to him, getting rewarded for behavior. And, and the attitude is, what's the point of doing right if it doesn't pay off? What's the point, right? Why do I do the right things if doing the right things doesn't work out for me? And I think we need to learn a lesson from Mordecai in this, that Mordecai reported this plot against the king. Why? Because it was the right thing to do. And listen, the king should have honored him, right? He should have uh, given him a reward. He should have at least given him the Persian Medal of Honor or something, right? Whatever it was. None of that happened. He got nothing. But let me just say this. Much later, 
in his life. We don't know how much time passed. There was a night where the king couldn't sleep, and all of a sudden he had a book brought in that relayed the events of his kingdom, and he reread about Mordecai coming in and, and, and exposing this plot, and he's like, hey, listen, what, ever, did, what did we ever do for this guy? And remember, they said nothing. We haven't done anything for him. Now, amazing thing is that that happened on the exact same night before uh, Haman wanted to get him executed. And guess what? The king elevated him. You think it was a coincidence that it happened on that night? Had he gotten his reward way back when, whenever that first happened? Listen, he would have missed it right there. He got the reward at the right time at the right place. And we need to understand that. Doing right does pay off, but often in a much greater way than we ever think. There is a reward for doing right. And I know, listen, I understand. We want to receive a reward immediately. If we do something right, we want to see it. Like if you see somebody's dog on the telephone pole that says reward $1,000 if you find my dog, when you bring the dog over to that house, how many of you know? You're like, where's my reward? Oh, I'll give it to you in two years. Right? No, no, I brought, I'll give you your dog in two years then, right? No, we want the reward. If you're an Olympian and you go to the Olympics and you win the gold medal, after the competition's over, what? We want our reward. We want our medal. We're not going to be like... You know what? Just hang on to it. Can you give it to me at the next Olympics? No, we want it right. So we are wired that way to, to do something, and we want the reward, right? But we need to understand doing right comes at God's timing, right? right? Even if nobody notices. If, even if nobody notices, this is important to know. When no one else notices, God notices. God knows when you choose to have the right attitude. God knows when you choose to do the right thing, even if nobody else does. Sometimes we want to do our good work so everybody can see it. Nobody's noticing it, so I better make sure I'd be more public with, with a good thing I'm doing. Uh, don't worry about that, because God, people cannot reward you like God rewards you. God's got something much bigger. He knows what's going on. He knows when you choose to have the right attitude. Amen? That's like somebody cut me off in traffic. Oh, I'm getting so mad at that person. Wait, no, no, I'm just going to relax. Remember what I said a few weeks ago, calm down, right? <laughs> I just got to calm myself down because I want to have the right attitude. And when you choose that, God sees it. So the question a lot of times people ask, so when's my reward coming? When's it coming? Listen, I don't have an answer for that. But I do know we have a command and a promise in Scripture out of Galatians, and I love it out of the Passion Version. It says this, and don't allow yourselves to be weary are disheartened in planting good seeds, right? Many of you have heard of don't grow weary in doing well, but don't come weary or disheartened when you're planting good seeds. Listen, the farmer's planting good seeds. He's not expecting the plant to come up tomorrow. That doesn't make any sense. So don't get weary. Don't get disheartened. For the season of reaping the wonderful of harvest you planted is coming. So what I want to say about that, when you do the right thing, when you choose to do it, and you know that God will reward you, there is a harvest coming. When it comes, I don't know. I mean, isn't it interesting that you can plant some things, and in six weeks you've got whatever it is you planted? Some things take a year. Some things take several years. I believe that God brings about the reward at the right time. Amen? Amen. At the right time. And then look what it says in uh, chapter or verse 10. It says, take advantage of every opportunity to be a blessing to others, especially to our brothers and sisters in the family of faith. Listen, when you take opportunities, when you are a blessing to somebody else, you're planting a seed. Right. 
You're planting a seed. And, and let me say, just do right, because God sees it. God notices it. There's nothing you can do. Listen, sometimes we're like, man, God sees every bad thing I do. Anybody ever feel like that? Every time I mess up, every time, God sees it all. And, and you know what? That's true. But guess what? God sees every right thing you do as well. God sees every time you make the good choice to do the right time. But we need to understand our reward comes in God's timing. There is a harvest coming. We just have to hang on and allow God to bring it when he brings it. Because he knows when we need it. Now, last week we talked about Mordecai telling Esther. Basically, he said, this is your time. You've come to this position for this time. Like Esther, I know you've been wondering why you were chosen as this Jewish foreigner living in this land and God elevated you as a queen. And, and this is it. This is your moment. This is your moment to stand up and let them know, listen, you're a Jew. You've got to do something about this king. And, uh, and, and so she responded. Let me just say this, because I believe each one of us here, some of you guys that are watching online, you might be in a season or a place in life that you don't understand. Anybody there? Like, why am I here? What's going on? How did this end up? And, and sometimes we get in this position where we feel like God's forgotten us. Uh, God must cast me to the side. I've done something wrong. Why am I here? Like, why am I a part of Freedom Church in El Dorado County? Am I here just to uh, float until the next thing comes along? Or am I here until Jesus comes? Sometimes we kind of have that idea. Or does God have something more and something bigger for you? At your job, in your neighborhood, wherever it happens to be. Listen, friends, we need to stop looking at things in our life as just random. Like, oh, you know what? I'm just here because, I, you know, pastor's such a great guy. and grace, you know, That's why I'm here, right? I didn't get any laughs out of that. So uh, <laughs> that must be why you're really here, right? No, I'm just kidding. We've got to stop looking at things like it's random and consider maybe we're right where we're at for such a time as this. Maybe God has something more involved in my decision and, and where I am rather than just like, oh, I like it here. Maybe you didn't plan on living in El Dorado County. Maybe you've, you're here and you've been looking to move. And, and maybe you didn't even want the job that you got, right? Anybody ever been there? You were, you were looking, maybe you were looking for a different house. Maybe the reason your plans worked out differently than you expected is because God's got a bigger plan for your life. Right? See, it's a shifting in our thinking. Sometimes like, ah, well, I didn't really want this. I didn't like this. Why am I here? Listen, God positions us for purpose. Do you believe that? That God has got a bigger picture for us, for his church, for his kingdom, and, and he positions us. Listen, when you begin to think that way, it will change how you approach hardships and difficulties. It'll change how you handle the unexpected uh, changes that happen in life. God may have put you where you are, even where you don't want to be, precisely because that's the place He needs you. Amen. Does that make sense? Amen. Listen, that's often how God works. Ah, I didn't really want to be here, but then the opportunity comes. And so this is what the filling in your notes. God puts you in a position now for an assignment later. He begins to put people in the right place because there's something that He wants you to do. And what, is our, what do we do in that? When we're in that position, I need to be faithful and obedient while I'm there. Whatever it is, okay, God, this isn't what I expected. This isn't what I was wanting. This is a difficulty. This is a challenge. But, Lord, I want to be obedient. I want to be faithful right now. And, Lord, I'm, I'm listening to your voice. And when God says now, we need to be obedient. Right. We need to follow through. Amen? Amen? 
All right, so let's move on. After Mordecai challenged Esther with her moment, this is it. I, I love this, and I read this verse last week, uh, chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, Esther replies, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa. Fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night, uh, three days, night or day. That's rough, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's one thing. Let me, have some, let me have a drink of water, right? Uh, but she says, nothing. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. Listen, she understood her risk. She understood. Listen, queens weren't supposed to be in the politics of what's going on. Queens were so supposed to be over there in the corner, be pretty, please the king, and be quiet. Don't cause any commotion. She understood that she could be killed simply for coming into the king's presence without being called upon. I mean, think about this king. He already had a history. The last queen, things didn't work out so well. Right? All of a sudden, she disobeyed the king, and she disappeared. So Esther called for a citywide prayer meeting. And I believe that she modeled an important thing. I think that we should apply in our lives. Uh, and that's this, to proceed bold action with patient prayer. Right? If God's calling you to do something big, don't just like, oh, man, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump in it. Don't rush into it. Remember the God who positioned you, who put you in that position, he's the one that's going to see you through. Right. He's the one that's going to take you. Uh, a lot of times... Bold action without the help of God. How many of you know that's a recipe for disaster? God's calling you to do something big. Before you take action, friends, I want to encourage you, spend time in His presence. Spend time in His presence. I believe a good rule, the bigger the assignment, the more people you should have praying. A lot of times, uh, you know, Esther's like, get as many people as you can. I believe prayer works. A lot of times people make big decisions if they've not asked a single person to pray with them about it. Right? I, I can't tell you how many times it's like, hey, listen, would you pray with me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And it's like, I'm already going to do it anyway, so why are you asking me to pray with you? We've got to ask people to pray. Hey, listen, uh, how many times have people moved and like, hey, listen, we're moving. Hey, listen, have you prayed about it? How many of you know a move's a big deal? Right? We should have people praying with us before we make big uh, decisions in our life, whatever that may be. And Queen Esther's like, okay, I'm going to approach the king. You guys all better be praying for me. I think that's a good rule of thumb in our life. Listen, if you've got big decisions, ask, you better have somebody to say, hey, listen, would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? Because one thing that I believe is that when we pray, first of all, God will begin to reveal things about whatever that assignment is that maybe you've never thought about. He might give a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge to somebody that, that, that you've asked to pray with you that you didn't even think about, right? Because you've incorporated more people to pray over that situation uh, and, and you begin to get confirmation and you begin to get that go-ahead from God. I believe that uh, prayer and incorporated with many people gives you confidence to know you're in God's plan. All right, I'm stepping forward because when God tells you big things, how many of you know uh, there may be knees knocking in it? Like, okay, God, I don't know. But you've had a, a, an army of people praying with you. Even if you've got two or three people praying with you, then it will give you the decisions. Let me tell you, as a church, we don't make big decisions without there being prayer. Right on our board, we're even talking about things and we're praying about it right now. There's big decisions that we need to make, but we're bathing it in prayer right now. We're taking steps, but we want to make sure this is God. I don't want to just jump and do anything. We want everything that we do to be God. Right. Amen? 
And so you've got to make that. Before you make that decision, find somebody to pray with. Find somebody to like tap like, hey, listen, that's what a good part about being in a small group. You're like, well, I don't really know anybody. Have your small group. Be a part of a small group. Have them pray with you. Hey, listen, I've got a decision. You may not want to tell everybody, but you've got to tell somebody. Amen? Amen. Amen. So anyway, let me move on. Uh, I've heard this as well. Just things that I've heard people arguing against being, uh, being used of God. Well, I'm just one person. What difference can I make? I'm one individual. You know what? I'm messed up. I blew it. I did all of those things. Well, let me tell you, one person can make a difference. When I think of Mordecai, he did what was right and saved a king. Esther did what was right, saved the, all of the Jews in that land, in the Persian Empire. One person obedient to God can change the course of history. Do you believe that? One person? One person that's willing to stand and do the right thing can change a nation. And we think, well, it's just one person. It's not because of that one person as much as it is as the God that's behind that person. Right? When you're obedient, when you're submitted to Him, God can use you to do amazing things. How many of you remember the story when Israel was afraid of the Philistine army? Right? And they're scared. This big guy, Goliath, you know, he's coming at him. Bring me somebody that'll fight me. And everybody was scared except for one guy. David says, who do you think you are? Who is this guy that would defy the armies of God? I'll take him. He was just like a teenager against this nine-foot giant. One person made a difference in that battle, right? What about this one? William Wilberforce and, uh, and David Livingston. You know, back in the 1800s, they were horrified by what the slave trade they saw in Africa. And it was horrifying. They rallied the world in opposition to slavery, and they made a difference in the, that, that eventually made its way into America. Here's the one that maybe you've never heard of. His name's Walter Winnick. He was a German in the Nazi time, World War II. He was the youngest general in the Nazi army. In the final days of the world, while Berlin was fi- uh, on flames, he was told to fight against the Soviet forces that were coming in. He knew that they would be defeated, and so he ignored uh, the orders of Hitler himself, and uh, he instead ordered his guys to open up a passageway so that civilians and soldiers could escape into U.S.-occupied territory. Like, well, that's crazy. You're just surrendering right there. But because he did that, over two, they say over 250,000 civilians and soldiers survived that attack because he was willing to make a difference. How about this one, Rosa Parks, who uh, uh, took a stand for civil liberties. When black people were, were not treated well, she stood when other people wouldn't. Actually, she sat, didn't she? <laughs> sat at the right place in, in the bus. And uh, her actions were part of what brought change that needed to happen in, our, in America. Amen? Amen? Here's another one that, that you may or may not be familiar with. On May 3rd, 1980, a 13-year-old Carrie Leitner from Fair Oaks, California, walking along on a quiet street to a church carnival when she was struck by a drunk driver that killed her. And uh, when people arrested the driver, when they were, the driver was found, he, they found out that he already had a record of intoxicated driving. In fact, he had been arrested earlier that same week on another hit-and-run accident while he was drunk driving. That same week, and he was back out there. Uh, his, her mom, Candy, learned that, uh, from the policeman that drunk drivers rarely were par- prosecuted with any degree of harshness and that the driver that killed her daughter was unlikely to spend any time behind bars. 
How many of you would be upset about that? She was upset, furious. She took action against what she called the only socially accepted form of homicide. So Candy Leitner formed Mothers Against Drunk Drivers on March 7, 1980. We've all heard of that organization, right? And what did that organization do? It transformed America's attitude about drunk driving. Right? It changed it all. And, and successfully fought for stricter laws across the country. Uh, I think that's amazing. So one person can make a difference. And even while I was sitting in here, looking back, I see Bob Drell back there. He's awfully quiet back there. Uh, but he saw a need that was in our community. There was a need for, for people that, that have been struggling with drugs, alcohol, and, and homelessness. And it's like, well, who, you know, Bob's a mechanic, right? That's about your nature by trade. But he's like, there's a need. I want to do something. He made a difference. Anybody, Bob's made a difference in their life that's here? Look at all those hands right here. And I'm sure it was a, listen, one person can make a difference. What do we got to do? We got to begin to look in our area. What, what are some needs? Look in our nation. Do you think our nation's got some needs? <laughs> yeah, woo, right? In our world, one person radically committed to God that's willing to obey, I believe that God can change many things. Amen? You can make a difference. And I believe it's time for God's people to quit looking at big problems and saying, oh, what can I do? What can I do? You can make a difference. And it's time for God's people, I believe, to quit looking at those problems. With God's help, we can make a difference in Cameron Park and Placerville and Pollock Pines and El Dorado County, right? And beyond. We can make a difference. We can do it. So, listen, if you're a young person here, I want to encourage you to dream big dreams, not selfish dreams. Don't let anybody tell you, oh, you know what, that's too big. But let me tell you, God can use you. You can be an Esther for your generation. Amen? You can do that. Listen, if you've gotten older, 70, 80 plus, and you're like, ah, I missed my moment. My time is gone. I can't really make a difference. Listen, I don't believe that at all. I, I've, I've believed this for years, that as long as we're on this side of heaven, God still has purpose for us. Amen? God still has purpose. Who knows that maybe you have come to this position and this place for such a time as this. We've got to hang on to it and realize it's not random. I'm just not waiting for death to come in my life. God still has purpose for me, and I want to be a part of that. Amen? Amen. I want to be a part of that. Getting back to this story, the first order from the king filled the Jews with fear. You can imagine. What was the first order right here? Esther 3. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order. Now imagine yourself a Jewish person living here at that time. Here it is. All Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. That was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year. The property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them. Now, for them, it's like, hey, listen, that's, not, that's my death sentence coming up. March 7th is happening. You can imagine the fear that happened. And, uh, and it says a copy of this decree went, was to be issued as a law in every province and proclaimed to all people so that they would be ready to do their duty on that appointed day. That's a desperate time. Things were desperate right there. We look around and like, whoa, uh, we're, all, we're only a few months away from dying. And people are going to take our property. I can imagine the neighbor that was uh, eyeballing your house like, oh, yeah, if I kill them, I get their stuff. I get their house. I mean, that had to be a horrible thing. But then one Jewish girl who happened to become queen 
decided that it was her time to take the moment and, and, and changed everything. God used her like that. And here's a part of the story that I just think is, is funny. Uh, Esther intervened, and all of a sudden the king says, Hey, listen, bring in uh, your adoptive father Mordecai and have him write the new law out. So he, think about that, a Jew got to write a law defending the Jews on the authority of the king. He's like, you get to write it out, I'm going to put my seal of approval on it. So when we see the story jump down to chapter 8, it says the decree came that gave the Jews in every city authority to unite to defend their lives. They were allowed to kill, in the same, interesting same words, kill, slaughter, and annihilate anyone of any nationality or province who might attack them or their children and wives and to take their property of their enemies. So a complete reversal that, that took place right there. And it says, The day chosen for this event throughout all the province of King Xerxes was March 7th of the next year. A copy of this decree was uh, to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all people so that the Jews would be ready to take revenge on their enemies on that appointed day. Wow. Like, okay, there's one law that says, hey, listen, if you kill the Jew, you get their property. Another law is like, no, they can defend themselves and then they get your property. Right? So look what happened in verse 17. In every province and city, wherever the king's decree arrived, the Jews rejoiced and had a great celebration and they declared a public festival and holiday. Anybody know what that holiday is called today? Yeah, Purim, right? And uh, so that's still celebrated today. It came out of the book of Esther. And it says, and I love this right here. And many of the people of the land became Jews themselves, for they feared what the Jews might do to them. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that reversal there? It's like, oh man, I'm going to get his uh, uh, property. I'm going to kill him. And it's like all of a sudden this new, uh, you know what? I think I'll just convert to Judaism. Yeah, I think I'll just convert. Maybe that's a better idea than trying to kill him and then they, all, and they end up killing me, right? So they be, the ones that are killing Jews, they become Jews. Look at chapter 9, verse 3. And all the nobles of the province, the highest officers, the governors, the royal officials, helped the Jews out of fear of Mordecai. Like, really? How was this no-name Jew all of a sudden, now all these officials are afraid of him, and verse 4, this is why. For Mordecai had been promoted in the king's palace. His fame spread throughout the province, and he became more and more powerful. Such a great story. The Jews were saved. God had promoted uh, his people. Mordecai had become a powerful leader in the land. And the captives who were treated bad, now they have favor and honor. All the Jews were treated bad before. Now they're in high position. Listen, it may seem too late, and it may seem too late when you look at our nation, but let me tell you, it's never too late for God. God knows what's happening, and, and, and here's the here's a feeling. When, you, when things look like they're over, listen, it's not over until God says it's over. How many of you believe that? Like you get a diagnosis from a doctor, and it says you got six months to live, and it's like, well, that's what you say, Right? You can have that. You can have your medical opinion, but I know that I serve a God who has the last word. Hallelujah. Amen? It may look like you're going bankrupt. It may look like you're going to lose your house or whatever it is, but God still has the last word when things look over. Listen, the book of Esther gives me hope for America. Gives me hope, right? I understand there's a lot to be worried about. I mean, this week, you know, shootings. The week before, shootings. High school, it's a tragedy. 
It's horrible. It's, it's, it's a horrible thing. Everybody has their opinion of what should happen. Uh, but I'll tell you, when I see that, you know, the grocery store, what was it in Buffalo, uh, where the shooter just targeted black people? Uh, uh, I think that same week there was one in a church uh, out in uh, Southern California. It's just constant. You watch it and it's like, oh man, look at our politics. Look at all of this stuff that is going on. And we could get very down, am I right? It's a difficult time. And we see evil. Sometimes it looks like evil's winning. But let me tell you this. In spite of all of that, God still has a plan for His church. Amen? I believe that God still has a plan for His people. And the book of Esther should give you hope for your life. No matter what things look like, God is still going to... He still has a card to play, right? How many of you know God's card trumps every other card? Right? So listen... This, it's not time for the church to hide in fear and like, oh no, let's go, let's be recluse. No, we need to stand up. We need to stand up together against hate, against injustice, against violence and all that's going on. And we need to stand for what's true and holy. Even if it's not a, a, a public opinion poll, it's not popular. How many of you know we don't stand by what's popular, we stand by what God's Word says? Stand for what's truth, right? Uh, we can be shocked by these tragedies that we see happen. But let me remind you that tragedies happen every day. They don't get public news. They may not be to the same degree. How many of you know there were probably tragedies that happened in Cameron Park this week? Right? In Placerville and Pollock Pines. Didn't make the news, but there are families that are dealing with tragedy. And it happens on a regular basis. So let me tell you, God has called us here, not as individuals, just as individuals, but I believe as Freedom Church for such a time as this. Right? God has a purpose. God is still working. God wants to do something with you as an individual, but I believe with us as a church as well, to make a difference in people's lives, to be able to step in just as Esther and Mordecai did to see the tables turn in a favorable direction. Amen? I want to I close with this verse out of Romans 5, 20 and 20, 21, out of the message version. Uh, I really liked it out of that. It says... All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers, right? He's talking about the Old Testament law. It just made us lawbreakers, right? How many of you know that's even true today? Right? You pass the law, it just makes more lawbreakers, right? But look at it, it says, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness that we call grace. Think about that. Sin doesn't have a chance when it's in competition with aggressive forgiveness we call grace. Look at it. When, when it's sin versus grace, grace wins, hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together, again, through the Messiah, invites us into a life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. Listen, grace wins every time. God wins every time. Like I said, no matter what things look like in the world, even no matter what things look like in your life, We've got to realize we serve a God that has the last word. And if we will submit ourselves, if we will live our life to say, God, I want to please you, and I want to please you with everything I have, I want to tell you that God is going to use you to make a difference in this world. That's who God can use. Those that are submitted to him, those that are walking in obedience to him. And listen, I want to give you an opportunity. Can I have everybody stand? You may be here today and say, you know what? I've not really even surrendered my life to him. Let me tell you, that's the first step that you need to take. It's a surrender to him. God, 
and maybe you've given your life to him, but you said, you know what, my goal has not been to please you, God. I'm still kind of looking at pleasing me. I still want that red Corvette, right? I'm still hanging on to these things right here. But Lord, I'm going to give up my things so that I can just say, God, I just want to please you. If that's you here today, just say, God, with my life, I want to please you with everything that I have. If that's you, can I just have you raise your hands? God, I want, to, I want to please you with everything I have. Listen, both my hands are up. Lord, help me to surrender my way, my wants, the things that don't please anyway. Lord, help my life be pleasing to you. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. Thank you that you can take this person Lord, you know my failures, you know my flaws, you know my mess-ups. But Lord, you can use me in great ways. Father, each one that has raised their hand, Lord God, they're saying, use us. Lord, help us learn to what it means to please you. Lord, help us to do what it says in Colossians, to walk in, in humility and love and kindness, Lord. Help us that that be a reflection of who we are. Help us to live differently in this world, Lord God. Not like everybody else. Lord, we don't want to live like everybody else. We want to live like you've called us. So, Lord, that takes a surrender. So, Lord, we surrender our lives to you right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So my challenge to you is to say, hey, make that your goal. God, I want to live. I want to live to please you. And, Lord, I want to make a difference in this world. Whatever that is, be faithful where you are. Be faithful where God has planted you and allow him to use you in whatever way needed. Thank you, Lord. Listen, we want to take some time to pray for you guys. <clears throat> we got some of our prayer team that will come up. And uh, listen, if you need prayer, maybe you're making a fresh commitment to him or maybe you're just saying, listen, I, I, maybe you've got a need. Maybe you've gotten some news from a doctor that says, hey, listen, this is all you got. Uh, we, we believe that God can intervene. So if you need prayer, I'm just going to encourage you as Timothy's leading in this uh, last song, uh, come up and allow Let us stand with you in prayer. I believe that prayer changes things, right? We talked about that. I believe that God intervenes. So I want to encourage you to take a step up and say, hey, listen, I want someone to pray with me. And as, uh, as we sing this song,